0: Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries, with founder and director Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now here's Dr. Bing.
1: I'm glad you joined us for today's podcast. We're going through a special series called Simply by Grace, the book. When I wrote Simply by Grace, I never dreamed it would have such an impact and be translated into a dozen languages with more in the works. It's published in English by Kriegel, and you can get the book at our website, gracelife.org, or on Amazon, or wherever you buy your paperback or digital books. Like a lot of folks, you might want to buy a bunch and hand them out to people who need a better understanding of God's amazing grace. Grace Life ministers around the United States and the world sharing the gospel of grace with unbelievers and the grace of the gospel with believers. Our ministry is supported by folks just like you, and that too can be done on our website, gracelife.org. What we'll do now is read a chapter of Simply by Grace and follow that with an interview on the topic of that chapter with someone who's going to give further insights about that aspect of God's grace. So, if you're ready, we'll dive into the book. Chapter 13, Sharing the Gift As noted in the footnote, this chapter is adapted from my booklet, How to Share the Gospel Clearly. When we encounter the life-changing gift of grace in the gospel, we should naturally want to share it with others. When we share the gospel, we must keep it simple, clear, and absolutely free. Keep it clear. Once when I was invited to speak at an evangelistic meeting, the organizing pastor introduced me to a dear woman before the meeting. He had talked with her previously but remained unsure whether she was saved or not. He left me alone with her, so I asked her some diagnostic questions to find out for myself. I concluded that she did not really understand the gospel, so I explained it to her as clearly as I could, then led her to place her faith in Christ. When we returned to the pastor to tell him the good news, She instead pointed her finger in his face and, in an accusing voice, rebuked him. Why didn't you explain it to me clearly? You never made it clear, she said. It's hard to say who was more embarrassed, I or the pastor who had just graduated from seminary with a Master of Theology. Academic credentials are no guarantee of clarity in communication. In Colossians 4.4, Paul asks for prayer to make his gospel-telling quote, manifest as I ought to speak, unquote. The New American Standard Version and the New International Version prefer the word clear or clearly. One commentator translates this verse this way, quote, that I may publish it openly in the words which I ought to speak, unquote. Paul understood it was easy to garble the gospel. He wanted to word it clearly. The word he used has the idea of to make visible and is from a word that means to manifest or to light up the job of the gospel teller is to shed light on the message or make it clear not to obscure it god can save more people with a clear message than with a cloudy one a clear presentation of the gospel is not only more powerful it gets people off to a well-grounded start in their christian walk we will look at several elements that make for a clear gospel witness A clear content. What does a person have to believe in order to be saved? I have heard everything from believe in God and the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount to just believe that Jesus loves you. What is the content of the gospel and how can we articulate it clearly? The gospel's content is laid out no more clearly than by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul reminds the Corinthians about the gospel that he preached, that they received, and by which they were saved, in chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. The message was the one Paul received personally from God. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Compare Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5, we find two great propositions of the gospel and their supporting evidence. We could look at the verses like this: The first proposition is Christ died for our sin. Paul gives the scriptural proof, according to the scriptures, and the physical proof. He was buried. The second great proposition is, he arose. Paul gives the scriptural proof, according to the scriptures, and the physical proof. He was seen. In summoning the evidence for his propositions, Paul is arguing his case like any good lawyer, uh, the possible oxymoron noted. A brief explanation of each of the statements follows. Christ Died for Our Sins The concept of Christ may not have been entirely understood by the Corinthian readers, but the meaning of anointed and his work of dying for sins certainly points to a divine special messenger. That he died for our sins implies that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. The word for conveys the idea of, on account of, that is, to deal with our sins, according to the Scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures pictured or predicted the suffering of God's Messiah. And he was buried. This statement functions as Jesus' death certificate. It reminds the reader of the many eyewitnesses to his death, the best evidence which could be summoned. Only dead men are buried. Christ's death was witnessed by multitudes, including the soldiers sent to break his leg. The grave and body were also attended by Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, and the women. He arose. The second proposition attests to Christ's resurrection from the dead, which implies that God accepted the sacrifice. A dead man cannot save anyone. A Savior has to be alive. Only then can he offer and effect salvation. According to the Scriptures, it is harder to find the resurrection of Christ in the Old Testament. It is there, however, not only explicitly in Psalm 16, 8-11 and Psalm 110, 1, but also implicitly. When the suffering and death of the Messiah is discussed, this is sometimes followed by a declaration of his reign. Look at Isaiah 53. The implication is clearly that he rose from the dead and was seen. Paul lists those who were eyewitnesses. This includes the apostles, men of repute, a multitude of 500, and himself. According to 1 Corinthians 15, five through eight. A clear condition. Just when I talked myself into the benefit of becoming involved with my community's ministerial alliance, they decided to launch a community-wide evangelistic survey. A smorgasbord of subcommittee pastors designed the evangelistic tract that would be handed out door to door. To be thorough, I guess, the tract covered all the bases. It spoke of believing in Jesus as Savior, amen, but went on to tell the poor chap at the door, who was probably dying to get back to his television as soon as possible, that he must confess his sins, call on the name of the Lord, open the door of his heart, receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, and let him take control of the throne of his life. The problem is not that all of this language is unbiblical, which most of it is, but it is so confusing. Since the Alliance would not let our church use different literature, I had to drop out of my first foray into cooperative evangelism. The reverends were miffed. As we have shown in this book, the grace of the gospel means that the only condition for salvation is faith alone in Christ alone. But this is where much gospel telling takes a spacewalk. Let's review some language commonly used to explain the condition of salvation. The phrase, Ask Jesus into your heart. It's true that the heart is universally understood as the very essence of our being and person. But in this phrase, the issue of trust in Jesus as one who died in our place is hardly communicated. And wouldn't this be confusing to a child who thinks concretely instead of abstractly? James Dobson related this story on a radio broadcast. As a mother drove her young daughter in her car, mom was explaining what it meant to have Jesus in her heart. The little girl leaned over and put her ear to her mother's chest. I'm listening to Jesus in your heart, said the daughter. What did you hear? asked the mom. The little girl replied, Sounds to me like he's making coffee. The phrase, Give your heart, or life, to God. A Halloween gospel track designed for children to leave at homes when trick-or-treating ends with, Well, thanks again for the treat, but the best treat for me would be for you to give your heart to Jesus. Oh, how appropriate for Halloween. A child might imagine this as a gruesome display for the local haunted house. Again, picture the scene it conveys to a naive child. An evangelist tells how one child, when asked to give his heart to God, broke into sobs, saying, If I give my heart to God, how am I going to live? The issue in salvation is not what we give to Him anyway, but what He gives to us. Eternal life is Christ's life in us. First John 5, 11. The phrase, invite Christ into your life. This is certainly a courteous approach, but we must remember that it is the Lord who does the inviting. Another form of this is the admonition to open the door of your heart, based on Revelation 3.20. I used to use this verse a lot, but now I see that it was written to the Laodicean church as a whole and was more of an invitation for fellowship than salvation. Again, after you get a child to stop wondering where the doorknob of his heart is, you've really told him nothing about what it means to believe in Christ. Adults are not helped either. The phrase, receive Christ as your Savior. This one I hesitate to criticize and even find myself using it sometime, though I try to avoid it. There is some biblical support for the idea of receiving Christ. Look at John 1, 11-12 and Colossians 2, verse 6. Both uses, however, are in the past tense, pointing to the result of faith. Receiving Christ, though, is what happens when we believe or have faith, and he comes to live in us. Furthermore, the context of both passages refers to faith as the condition for salvation. Accept Christ is similar, but not used for faith in Christ in the New Testament. The phrase, Make Christ Lord and Savior. Spare the effort. No person can do this. The Bible says God the Father, quote, has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ, unquote, Acts 2.36. Of course Jesus is Lord, but he is Lord whether we accept him as such or not. The phrase, make Christ Lord of your life. This language misleads unbelievers when used as a condition for salvation. Lordship decisions are decisions for Christian obedience made by believers in the light of transforming grace. See Titus two eleven through twelve, not something done to merit that grace. See Titus three verses four through seven. Sometimes we hear, quote, if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Unquote. Would somebody please tell me what this saying means? The phrase "Put Jesus on the throne of your life." In other words, give him control of all areas of your life. Has anyone accomplished this? It is a commendable admonition for a believer, but again is misleading to use with an unbeliever as a condition for salvation. It is better to deal with this issue after a person understands the issue of faith in Christ for salvation. I know, however, that some people believe in Christ as Savior and surrender to Him as Lord simultaneously. They inherently understand that if Christ saves us, He also deserves to rule us, and both decisions appear as one. Still, the issues are distinct. The phrase, confess your sins. To a priest? How many sins? What about ones that are overlooked, forgotten, unintentional, or by omission? This is confusing. We must all acknowledge, of course, that we are sinners before God, and we confess this to Him when we agree with Him that we are indeed sinners. The word translated confess literally means to speak the same thing or to agree with. We are saved from something, and that is our sin. But the above statement implies our problem is specific individual acts rather than our spiritual position or nature. God wants to cure the cause, not the symptoms. The phrase, repent of your sins, sometimes less sensitively stated as turn or burn. If by this it is meant that we must turn from every individual sin in our lives, then salvation and assurance would be impossible. Repentance in the New Testament speaks of an inner change of attitude and heart, not an outer change in conduct. Changed conduct is the expected result of true repentance, but we should not confuse the root with the fruit. As we come to faith, we must change our minds about a number of things. Our sinful status before God, for example, or our need for salvation, or our opinion of who Christ is. The phrase, Pray this prayer. We should not give someone the impression that they can be saved by a ritual such as prayer. It is better to tell them that they must believe in Christ and they can tell him through prayer that they want the gift of eternal life or that they are thankful for what he has done. Not all of the above conditions are totally void of all truth. The point is that they are often misleading or confusing. Why not be as biblical as possible in our communication of the condition for salvation? In the Gospel of John, the verb believe is used 98 times, about half of those as the condition for salvation. We should take the hint, especially when the Holy Spirit had John tip us off that he wrote his book in order to bring people to faith in Christ, according to John 20:31. We don't find any of the above language there, except as noted above, the mention of receiving Christ found in John chapter 1 and Colossians 2. A CLEAR INVITATION A minister acquaintance told me an almost humorous story of his conversion. When he was a totally pagan long-haired bartender and bouncer, he attended a church meeting and went forward at the evangelist's invitation. When he got to the front, the host pastor met him and asked, Do you come to make a profession of faith in Christ? Bill looked confused. The pastor asked several times. Bill finally said, Look, I don't know what you're talking about. I just want Jesus. He told me if it had not been for the evangelist's clarity in the sermon, he would not have found Christ up front with the pastor. As one of my seminary professors was fond of saying, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. A clear telling of the gospel can easily become unclear when the invitation is given. Whether it is an invitation in a one-on-one encounter or a public invitation by a preacher, There are certain things that will keep it clear. Here are some of the common invitations and comments on each. The phrase or invitation to come forward. The invitation to come down the church aisle is used by many preachers, though criticized by others, sometimes rightly so. It has only been around since the 1800s. Some people will quickly respond to such a public expression and others would rather go through an IRS audit before they stand up in front of a crowd. Walking the aisle is not harmful if the person clearly understands the issue. We probably all know someone who came to faith in this way. But people should never be led to believe that they must walk an aisle in order to be saved. They could be encouraged to walk an aisle if they want to talk to someone about their salvation or if they want to make a public statement that they have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior during the meeting. The invitation to bow your heads and close your eyes. Not close your heads and bow your eyes as one hapless preacher stated it. Why must people always get saved with their eyes closed? In a seance, opening the eyes might break the spell, but in a gospel confrontation, faith can appear with eyes wide open. Funny, but Jesus was always opening people's eyes. On the serious side, closed eyes and bowed heads can create a safe, confidential, and prayerful environment for those who may want to respond publicly. The Invitation to Raise Your Hand Again, we must avoid implying that a physical act is necessary. Raising a hand, however, is less threatening to a person than walking an aisle. It may give the preacher more opportunity to identify those who are interested in salvation. I, in fact, sometimes ask people to raise their hands in a group invitation because I want to follow up with them. I will often tell them something like this. You don't have to bow your head or raise your hand to be saved. You can believe in Jesus Christ with your eyes wide open while you're looking at me. I would just like to know that you have placed your faith in Christ as your Savior, or that you want to know more about that. The only way I can know who you are, so I can speak with you later in private, is if you raise your hand. I really would like to talk to you about it. The Invitation to Sign a Card This is also non-threatening to many people. Asking people to sign a card is often unwise unless... All the people present at the meeting fill out cards, which makes people feel less conspicuous. A card could include these categories to check. I have trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior today. Or, I want more information about knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. Or, I want to know for certain that I have eternal life. Or, I want to speak to someone about my salvation. The Invitation to Pray a Prayer An invitation involving prayer can be handled correctly. The gospel teller must be careful to make the issue faith. When inviting people to Christ, I explain how Christ saved us through faith. I make sure they understand the issues. Then I ask, do you believe this? If they say, yes, I say, then why don't you thank him right now in prayer for dying for you and for giving you eternal life? It may not be possible to validate a public invitation from the scriptures, but then we could not validate using gospel tracts and evangelism classes either. Sharing the good news implies an invitation to believe, and giving a clear invitation may help many to actually do it. The main point in relation to the invitation is this. If we don't want a person to get faith mixed up with works, if we had told someone that faith is a free gift, then we must be consistent and not demand any action as a condition. When someone decides to respond to any kind of invitation, it seems logical, in fact, that they are already trusting in Christ and just desire to express it somehow. Clear communication is an art. When it comes to sharing the gospel, it is an art worth refining. We must work to tell the gospel as clearly as possible. Not always will we succeed, but isn't it a wonderful fact of life? that God can still use us in spite of the misplaced approaches and methods that we use. We know, however, that He can accomplish more through us according to how clear and biblical our message and our methods are. And that means that we are clear in our gospel content, in our statement of the condition for salvation, and in our invitation to believe. Given all that is at stake, we want to share the good news as clearly as possible in a way that is pleasing to God not just convenient to men. We give the last word to the Bible in 1 Thessalonians 2.4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Review Questions 1. Why is it so important to share the gospel of grace clearly? Two. What is the essential content of the gospel that someone must believe to be saved? 3. What language should we avoid when explaining the condition for salvation? 4. How do some invitations for salvation compromise the free grace of salvation? Well our chapter was on sharing the gift and I think we've got a great guest today to talk about that because that's what he does. He has he is the founder of uh, Dare to Share Ministries and he goes around sharing the gospel and training churches church leaders and youth to share the gospel around the world. And I'm talking about Greg Steer. Welcome to the podcast, Greg.
0: Charlie, thanks so much for the opportunity.
1: You know, I met you recently kind of online and phone but i've heard about you for a long time through a mutual friend named yankee arnold and uh, he's always bragging about you talking about you and uh, i know that you came to christ through his influence can you give us the short version of how that happened
0: yeah it was it was crazy i, I was raised in inner city uh, never knew my biological father mom was a partier my uncles were bodybuilders and street fighters and thugs and Yankee went down to the uh, house of the toughest one of my uncles, my uncle Jack, who'd been in and out of jail his whole life and, uh, laid the gospel on him. And I mean, Yankee said the clear gospel he laid on him and Jack had never thought he just thought he was never good enough. And, and Yankee was like, yeah, nobody is. Jesus came for sinners. He died on the cross. He paid the price for sin. And he asked, uh. Jack, does that make sense? My uncle Jack said, "Hell yeah, that was a sin <laughs> of prayer." It was hell yeah? He trusted Christ. Ended up bringing 250 people out to Yankees Church. It began a domino effect. The clear gospel of grace swept through my family like a flood, and transformed all my uncles, cousins, my eventually my mom, me. I mean, it just. So I thank God for Yankee Arnold. It's weird he's called Yankee because he speaks with a southern accent, but his nickname is Yankee.
1: <laughs> gospel man. Well, that he's sounds like it man. would make a good good book, Greg. And we and I know you have a book that coming out. That that's what I want to talk about a little bit later. So you you have the advantage of seeing uh uh the wide arc of evangelicalism and churches and youth yep. and everything that's going on. Uh, are we And it's kind of a double question. Are we being successful in mobilizing people to go out and do evangelism? And and when they do, in the churches that are trying to, are they sharing a clear message?
0: So I would say the answer to question number one is no, we're not doing a good job. We're doing a good job of trying to get people to come and see, come to my church, come to my meeting. The problem is we live in a generation that 90% of them are not going to come out to church. And Christians, you know, we're in a post-Christian society. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to combine, come and see with go and get, and that means we need to, we need to be trained to go and get, we need to be trained on how to actually have a gospel conversation. What we call from takeoff to touchdown, you want to begin that gospel conversation, share the gospel message and land the plane. And most, uh, when it comes to that, the churches that are doing that, you know, I just think a lot of them are unclear or not complete gospel presentations and so i think the clearer that you are you know if if i'm a farmer i did a little study on farming um the purer the seed the better the crop yeah and so i i think we have a lot of stuff mixed in oftentimes uh and it becomes people don't know what what they're believing in or and Mm -hmm. so i think there's genuine conversions i i always pray when i hear a bad gospel presentation lord help them see the cross through the crud (laughs) And, um, and I think people can genuinely come to Christ in spite of gospel presentations because the Holy spirit quickens what he's going to quicken. Yeah, um, and you never know what so they've heard many,
1: or retained in the past.
0: Ex- that's a good point. And so I think, but I think we have a responsibility to set forth the truth plainly, uh, like Paul said, and in Colossians four, four, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should.
1: Amen. So, yeah, the worst thing I could imagine is that you mobilize churches, go out and spread the message and everybody's going out spreading the message. But it's it's not a clear message. <laughs> so you're just multiplying confusion. Well, but I, know, I know that you're passionate about a clear gospel. So, oh, my
0: goodness. And that's why I mean, honestly, I'm, you didn't ask me to do this, but that's why I love your book, Simply by Grace, because it it really is, I think, a balanced, but very biblical, very clear uh, reminder to the church of how important it is to share that pure gospel message.
1: Okay. Amen. Yeah. Well, just, just to set a foundation for our conversation, can you tell us the gospel that you share?
0: So, well, I mean, we use a gospel acrostic to help train teens to share the gospel. G-O-S-P-E-L. It tells the whole story of the Bible from Genesis one to revelation 22. I think it's important in a post-Christian society, almost like new tribes missions does, yeah. you know, present presenting whole story chronological. Yep. So, G, God created us to be with him, Genesis 1 and 2. You were made to be in fellowship with him. O, uh, our sins separate us from God, Genesis 3, right? Uh, Adam and Eve kicked out of the presence of God uh, and not allowed back in in their sinful condition. S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Genesis 4 through Malachi 4. You see it, you know, the, the blood, sweat, and tears, the blood of the Old Testament sacrifices, the sweat of trying to obey the 613 commands, the tears of contrition when they failed again and again and again. Um P paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he paid the price on the cross in our sin for our place, substitutionary atonement. It's got to be back in the middle mm-hmm. of the our gospel presentations. And by the way, it's under fire now mm-hmm. with a lot of our more progressive Christians, which I hate that term progressive because it's regressive mm-hmm. back to the garden. <laughs> uh E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Uh John, the book of John, we're 98 times believe, believe. Faith, pistuio, rely upon Christ. Everyone who trusts in Him alone has eternal life. And L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Acts was uh, Acts through Revelation. It's not just about eternal life someday in heaven. It's the quality of life uh, now and the quantity of life that stretches into eternity. So we literally have teenagers and adults when I train them memorize that gospel acrostic mm-hmm. like it, chords on a guitar. Get the chords down, and then you can you know eventually play like Eddie Van Halen, right? You can eventually. Uh-huh. G is my favorite chord
1: to play in, so that would help. That's right. Perfect. (laughs) I'm just a simple guitar player. but uh, So you mentioned that the substitutionary atonement is under fire today. You're talking about by the more liberal wings of uh, Christianity. Oh,
0: my goodness. Yeah. They call it divine child abuse. There's all this stuff going on. I live in the youth ministry world. There's a lot of youth ministry leaders that are progressive. They get caught up in that stuff, and I'm like, man, it's just, it's an attack on the heart of the gospel. So we you have to, you know, I mean, what I love, I read it this morning in my devotions, First Corinthians 15. You know, I delivered to you as a first important, what I what I received, I delivered to you. So somebody trained Paul mm-hmm. in this pre-Pauline creed mm-hmm. that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried. They rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. They was, you know, seen by over 500 witnesses. And I actually wrote the notes from your book in there that, you know, the premise, Christ died for our sins, you know, substitution atonement, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the proof he was buried, mm-hmm. uh, bib- physical proof, biblical proof, uh, according to the scriptures, that he rose from the dead uh, three days later, their yeah. physical proof, you know, and uh, um, the 500 witnesses and the biblical proof, according to the scriptures. I, that's the message that Paul received and trained the Corinthians in. We need to train our people in it, and I think we need to train our pastors in it. Um, that gospel acrostic just becomes a simple way um, to present the gospel as the creed that we believe, but the story that we share yeah, and I really you get to get you have to get the gospel down
1: amen well that's that that's a good 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 acrostic and way to do that. Um, I'm sure that helps a lot of people uh, you know where I find is that a lot of people when explaining the gospel, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he did for us, uh, we, we kind of agree on that across Christianity and uh, but that alone, I always tell people is just history. It come when it comes to the promise that he made uh, and we give an invitation for people to believe that's where I think it becomes Mm -hmm. crucial that we are very, very clear. So what are some of the language that, that you have, that you use when you're giving an invitation and some of the language that you might avoid.
0: Well, I got another acrostic I'll still share with you. It's had a clear gospel. C L E A R is cross and Christ centric lays out the whole story. That's the L E is easy to understand. A always sounds too good to be true. Mm. And R relentlessly focuses on faith alone and Christ alone. Mm. So I think when we present, there's a thing, Charlie, I believe, I call it the evangelist temptation. I think when a pastor or an evangelist get, gives an invitation, there, there's a temptation to get a bigger response. Of course. So they'll mix salvation and sanctification and get a heresy smoothie, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> all of a sudden you'll, you'll hear terms like, well, you know, you got to, uh, you know, make Jesus Lord of your life. Well, he is Lord. These are, God. As you pointed out in your book, God has made the, made Him Lord, Lord and Christ. Um, you have to turn from all your sins. Well, I'm. It's impossible for me to turn from my sins until my soul is re- transformed by the the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside me. So what I what I always say is, when you give an invitation, give the invitation for for believing that Jesus died for your sins in your place. He was buried. then He rose from the dead. And you're trusting in him alone to save you from those sins and to give you the gift of eternal life. I tell you, if you forget everything else, remember the cross, you know, yeah. and faith alone in Christ alone and watch your term. So we when I train teenagers, youth leaders or pastors how to share the gospel, I use three glasses of water. Mm-hmm. One glass is a clear glass mm-hmm. right, with clear water. The other is muddy. And the other is uh, got poison in it. Right. But it looks clear, right? Yeah. So I would say the turn or burn, try or fry, forsake or bake message is the false. It's got the poison in it. It's no different than any other gospel that Mormons preach or Catholics preach or
1: right yeah.
0: you know, if it focuses on what we do. You know, I actually have a book called Biblical Mormonism. It says those who preach, it's written by the top Mormon apologist, hmm. uh, the Lee Strobel of Mormonism. He's like, Those who preach that you have to turn from your sin and make Christ completely Lord of your life and do all these things that we actually agree with that gospel right you know so ah, but those who preach faith alone in christ alone that's who we have a problem with so i'll show some of my friends who believe that other gospel and i'll say hey look at this and they're like, oh yeah i agree with this guy i go he's a top mormon apologist and then i say if satan's giving your gospel a standing o you may want to reconsider you know <laughs> the gospel that you're preaching so i th- i'd say just focus on faith alone and Christ alone. And we have to believe in the power of the gospel to transform people from the inside out. That change of mind, the metanoia, that, you know, repentance mm-hmm. leads to a change of transformation. And if something is not changing, then one of two things is true. You either never trust the Christ, your savior, or you're walking in the flesh like the Corinthians did in first Corinthians yeah. three. Yeah. And, um,
1: so, so yeah, there's a, the, uh, we can't make works the final proof of salvation, but it, it can be an evidence of salvation. But the moment
0: we, it should, any it, kind it, of... it, it, yeah, it should be an evidence of salvation. And Absolutely. when it's not, some's broken in the chain. That doesn't mean they're not saved. That's right. It means yeah. that, that it may mean that, or it may mean that they're just not, they're not walking it. Like I go to second Peter one, add your faith, goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge, if all these things are in you. You'll be, you know, you, you'll neither be uh, ineffective or unproductive in mm-hmm. their knowledge of our Lord and savior. But if they're not in you, you're nearsighted and blind mm-hmm. and have forgotten your former purification of sins. He didn't say you're not saved. He's right. like, you're just nearsighted.
1: nearsighted. You're blind.
0: Yeah. You forgot the power of the cross to transform your life. So we well, yeah. have to be clear as we present it.
1: Uh, that's what, that's what we're all about. And, uh, Anytime you add performance or works to the gospel, you you actually jump into bed with a lot of these cults and and uh, and other groups that we would not otherwise identify with, but yet so many evangelicals are doing that today. It's uh, faith alone and Christ alone uh, is is just a message we need to keep fighting for, so to speak, and uh, and teaching others.
0: Well, it's what launched. I mean, the Reformation, the the clear message of grace, that that. You know, we are saved by faith alone. I tell people, if your gospel doesn't sound too good to be true, it's not good and it's not true. Yeah. And I honestly think, I honestly think that we don't have faith in the power of the gospel to transform a life. We we think we have to help somehow. Yeah. So somebody tells me, well, how do you? What do you do if you're sharing Christ with the? How do you share Christ with a homosexual person? I go same way I share Christ with a heterosexual person. Mm-hmm. Yet yeah, Christ get them to accept Christ, uh, put their faith in Christ alone for salvation. And then God begins that good work in their right. soul to begin to transform them from the inside out, just like he does everybody.
1: Yeah, the, the sad truth is, is that we as pastors and leaders can get people to change on the outside. But we've just made a Pharisee or a hypocrite. Mm. Uh, mm. We, need, we need to let God do his work in his time on the inside and really, Amen. truly change them from the heart out. So that's a good point. So a lot of things that uh, I think one of the things anyway, that keeps people from sharing the gospel in our culture is, uh, is fear and um, uh, just the fear of how people will respond and, and push back or reject them. I don't find that so much in other parts of the world. I find a lot of openness, but in America and maybe Europe as, as well, we, we find that. How are you finding the response to people who are going out and sharing the gospel?
0: Well, I think obviously there are, there are those who resist and are upset, but I find with dealing with young people, most young people are open to talk about spiritual things and the way we we kind of frame Christianity at dare to share as a relationship with God, not a religion, mm-hmm. you know, religion's a ladder approach. You know, right. I, I, you know, I turn, try, cry, whatever, but a relationship, I mean, God sacrificed his son to, so that that cross becomes a bridge from me to him, that veil was torn, that God loved us so much. I was talking to a guy yesterday and uh, my son was getting some clothes. He's 20 and he was down, he's at a Bible school, was down for a couple hours down at a mall and so we went with him and this guy, I go, Hey, nice cross. And he goes, you know, what's weird. My name is cross. I go, really? Hmm. I go, are you a Christian? He goes, my, my grandparents are, and my parents are Christian, but I'm kind of like, no. And so said, you know what the cross means? And I was just able to lay it out as a relationship with God. And you should have seen this kid. He's probably 17 years old. Mm-hmm. His eyes were open
1: mm-hmm.
0: and like, wow, I've never heard that before. Yeah. And so I think we need to just frame it as a relationship with God, not some stodgy list religion, but a, a love relationship with the king of the universe.
1: Yeah. And it's true that a lot of these young people have not heard it because we are in a post-Christian Society, we can't take it for granted that they even understand what Eastern Christmas is about. Is what I'm discovering. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of tattoos, but I found they're great conversation starters. Oh, they are. Yeah, they totally are. (laughs) I got a friend
0: who my uncle Jack led to Christ. He's got a skull on one hand and a rose on the other bicep. Uh So he always talked about the wages of sin is death, but the gift (laughs) of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
1: Hey, why not? (laughs) God. He's a
0: bodybuilder too, so he gets people's attention. Yeah. Oh
1: man. He's still bodybuilding, huh? He sounds like he might be a little older now if he's your uncle.
0: No, this is the guy, my uncle. Led
1: to oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So you you got this ministry called Dare to Share. Tell us a little bit about uh, what the ministry is and does and uh, your vision for sharing the gospel.
0: So we started 30 years ago. Uh, our vision is every teen everywhere hearing the gospel from a friend. There's 1 billion teens worldwide. We want every one of them to have every last chance to share Christ. I I was equipped as a teenager by Yankee to share the gospel. And when I was 15, I got on the phone, started calling other churches in the area, and I met a youth pastor named Clay. I said, Hey, can I come train your youth group how to share the gospel? He goes, How old are you? I go, 15. He goes, What are you doing Wednesday night? I go, Ride my bike. I rode my bike there and train them. And so I've been training kind of ever since. And uh, we do, we have curriculum that uh, we're, making available free of charge we're digitizing it so mm-hmm. uh, to train youth groups how to share the gospel people go to dare to share.org. they can get some of our digitized curriculum
1: for free and that's um, there with the number two share dare to share yeah, we'll get that
0: uh, and then and then we also do a live simulcast called dare to share live uh which is November 13th so it's coming up and uh train student i mean we have eleven 1100 plus churches signed up across the nation uh, and their youth groups to be simultaneously trained, equipped and mobilized for the gospel.
1: Wow. So that's November 13th, 2021. Do you usually do it in November every year? Every year. So if you're,
0: if somebody's watching this after, just take a November, 2022. And that's just dare 2 share live.org. Okay. Great. Again, a free event. uh, But, Seven hours of inspiration, equipping, and we actually go out and do it. So it's a lot of fun.
1: Well, that's great. That's great. I'm glad y'all go out and do it. I think that's always effective. Um, so you you're based there in the Denver area, and you have wife and two children, and mm-hmm. uh, you've been doing. Uh, you started Dare to Share about 30 years ago or so.
0: 30 years ago.
1: And and you've had quite quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of success. Like we would call it in human terms, but God is really blessed. I would say. Um I guess Grace, yep. And you've uh, you're also an author, you've written some things, the uh, curriculum and some other things, but I'm looking forward to the book that's coming out. T- tell us uh, a little bit about the book. It's coming out in November. So I wrote a book.
0: Yeah, uh, I wrote a book called Unlikely Fighter. Um and the tagline is the story of how a fatherless street kid overcame violence, chaos, confusion, and confusion to become a radical Christ follower. Um Lee Strobel wrote wrote my in uh, forward, which is like Bruce Lee showing up at the dojo <laughs> saying, "Hey, I'd like to teach a few lessons." And we, like, "Yes, sir, please do."
1: <laughs> right. Um,
0: and uh, uh, it it really of the twenty two chapters in the book, the first twenty one all happened before I turned sixteen. So mm-hmm. it's it's about like my uncle Jack and I dive deep into the story of my grandparents and. and uh, which my grand grandfather was freakishly strong, and my grandmother was freakishly tough and I think all my uncles and my mom were always trying to live up to that. um They were also strict Baptist, though violent, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were raised in a you know high crime rate area. Um, my family had a lot to do with that crime rate and uh, and then i then I tell the story of how Yankee came in and and God used him to transform my family, help me find my identity because I never knew my, my mom was a partier mm. and I was a result of one of the parties that she went to. She actually, she actually, when she found out she was pregnant, she got in her car and drove from Denver to Boston mm. to have an illegal abortion because she didn't want to stand before Baptist grandma and grandpa mm-hmm. and given another account because she was a black sheep. They were all black sheep, but she was the blackest of the black sheep, her and Jack. And uh, she stayed with my uncle Tommy and my aunt Carol in Boston. He was stationed in the Navy. And they, by that time, had become Christians, and they talked her out of it. Um, Mm. So she got on the the bus, came back to Denver, eight months pregnant, had me. And when she would look at me, she would often just break out in tears and start crying. Mm. And I found out years later why my grandma told me that she almost aborted you and she just feels guilty. Mm-hmm. So when Yankee trained me to share the clear gospel of grace, I began working on my mom from the time I was 12, 13, 14. I got 15 years old. I finally walked in the kitchen. I go, Ma, you have to kind of come at my family. I go, I don't want you to go to hell. Sit down. Mm-hmm. She goes, I, you're going to listen to this. She goes, all right, tell me one more time. She's smoking a cigarette. And I go, you know, went through the gospel. And she's smoking. She got her finger like this. She goes, You mean to tell me Jesus died for all my sins, even the bad ones? I go, They're all bad to yeah. God. He paid the price for all of them. She goes, You mean to tell me all I got to do is put my faith in Jesus and he forgives me for everything? I go, That's what Jesus said. She took a drag, stared in the distance, and she goes, I'm in. And when my family said they're in, they're, they're in. in. <laughs> and so, 17 years ago, she went to be with the Lord. And,
1: Wow. She's doing great now. So the center's prayer here was hell. Yeah. From your uncle and I'm in from your mom. <laughs> yeah, pretty that's much. A, that's a great story. And with a trailer like that, I don't know how anybody cannot not go out and get this book or just order it on Amazon. Uh, Unlikely fighter. I can't, I love stories. I love biographies and autobiographies and, uh, uh, and the more different from my life, the better. <laughs> so uh, You know, what's I mean, weird. not oh. that we don't intersect in some ways, but, uh, but sure. uh, yeah, culturally like that, that's a different, different kind of story.
0: You know, what's weird to me is I, you know, I preach my stories as a, you're a preacher, you know, you, you tell, share stories as part of what you do and you kind of use an economy of words, right? So you can set it up. So it's like boxing, you know, jab, jab, story, story, laugh, laugh, cry, cry. And then the word is your right hook. Boom. That's how you knock them out. Right. To use a violent family analogy. <laughs> I think writing this book It really kind of threw me off because it put me in a time machine to go back to my childhood. And there were times I broke down. I think it was like therapy for me Mm -hmm. because a lot of dots got connected. Mm -hmm. A lot of things I think I've been traumatized by, but the Lord used all that trauma to bring me closer to him. Mm -hmm. So I'm so grateful for all that stuff. And people look back and say, my life is not like, I want to compare. My life was rough. I wouldn't change one. Thing. yeah because god uses that in his tapestry he just does
1: yeah well i can understand that it's because you have to be introspective in, and it gives you a perspective as you look back try to analyze your life put it into print it's it, it's a weird thing but i i usually write theological stuff but when i wrote a book about fishing and fishing stories it started from my childhood and i found out it being mm. very autobiographical talking about my brother mm. and my father and some some really deep stuff like that and made me think about it so i know exactly what you're talking about I love stories. And uh, like my mom said, everybody's got a story, learn their story. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. I I hope people uh, get that book and become acquainted with your ministry. But what is it that drives you? You know, we don't always see uh, people choosing the path of evangelism uh, or being an evangelist. What is it that drives you uh, and makes you so passionate about sharing the gospel?
0: Uh, When I was 12 years old, my youth pastor, Timo Sanchez, gave me a Homework assignment to go sit at the mall, the busy mall, Westminster Mall, and uh, the busy part of the mall, and put an imaginary tag on their forehead that reads bound for hell. And it he goes, I want you to think about the hell that they're headed to and the hell they're going through apart from Christ. Hmm. And I did that for 30 minutes and I was in tears. Hmm. And I still see that sign to this day. And and people are like, Well, God's sovereign and evangelism. I do it. I believe in a thing and I do believe that, but I believe three dot theology. Dot number one is it's God's responsibility to save. Dot number two, it's our responsibility to share. Dot number three, it's their responsibility to believe. Yeah. And here's the key don't connect the dots. Just own your dot. And your yeah. dot is to preach the gospel. Yeah. I become all thanks to all people so that by all means I might save some. That's good. Point. And I just think we gotta own that dot and have we need more urgency. I don't think we I you know, every great move of God has, has tipped everybody's head upward and downward, upward to heaven, downward to hell. And I think these kids like today, you know, they don't ever hear about hell. It's interesting because I'll talk to youth pastors. Well, we don't want to, you know, kids are so exposed to fire and brimstone. I go, when hellfire and brimstone, when have they heard hellfire and brimstone? Mm-hmm. I had a youth, I had a teenager come up to me after I did this thing. It's a dramatic presentation we do called letters from hell saying, why is my youth leader never talked to me about hell? I never realized my friends are going to go to hell forever unless I tell them about Christ and they believe. I'm like, well, ask your youth pastor. Yeah. Uh, we got we to gotta bring it back. You know, heaven is, you know, I, I I think it was William Booth who said something like, give me 10 men and hang them over the fires of hell for 20, uh, 24 hours to see the pains and horrors of it and unleash those men. And they will they will reach this world for christ i've adjusted that i go give me one man woman boy or girl to see the glory of heaven for 24 seconds and Mm. they'll do the same thing Hmm. you know so i think heaven's glory and hell's fury that's the that's a double whammy we got to get we got to get in our hearts in our heads and then you know out to mobilize
1: yeah well we need to hear more of what you just said i do believe it is urgent and uh I do believe that heaven and hell are, are realities of course, but a lot of people are these days downplaying the issue of hell and uh, it's terrible to talk about. i like, G- oh,
0: like, Jesus didn't. I mean, he wasn't, <laughs> when he talked in Luke 16, 19 through, through 31 about the rich man and Lazarus, I think he actually uses a real name to kind of throw everybody off. Like, is that really was that a dude? Is that, re- <laughs> I mean, everybody, I mean, he paints it as a horrible place and heaven is a glorious place. Yeah. Um, And I think we got to walk by faith, you know, not by sight.
1: We could learn from that. Well, Greg, do us a favor here. Do your listeners a favor because uh, tell them right now in your own way, how they can have eternal life.
0: Yeah. If you're listening to this and you don't know for sure you have a relationship with God, uh, you don't know for sure your sins are forgiven. You don't know for sure heaven is your destination someday and that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you today. You can know. Uh listen, God loves you. He created you to be in relationship with him. Um but our sins, they separate us from God. He's a perfect and holy God. There's a wall between us and him. And if you listen closely, it's almost like you can hear him crying on the other side of that wall. Breaks his heart. He desires no one to perish. Um and good deeds, they'll never get rid of our sin. It's like putting white frosting on a burnt cake. So 2000 years ago, God sent his son to pay the price for our sin on the cross. And Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. He paid the price. He took the hit for us on the cross. And he said, it is finished. That means the price of your sin and mine had been paid in full. And he was buried. He rose again from the dead uh, three days later. And now he says, everyone who simply trusts in him has eternal life. And that life with Jesus, it does start now and it lasts forever. So if you've never put your faith in Christ, In the quietness of your heart, right where you're sitting, would you trust in him? Would you receive that gift of eternal life? Best news ever.
1: Amen. They can do it right now. They don't have to do any special prayer, as we've already talked about. They don't have to go to church. They don't have to walk down an aisle. They don't have to stand, raise their hand. They can just believe that Jesus' promise is true, that he's paid the price for them. Amen. well, Greg, I appreciate you sharing that, and we'll trust that some people are doing that right now. And uh, th- thank you for your ministry and your willingness to spend some time with us today uh, talking about sharing the gift. And uh, we want to leave with that, at that exhortation to be a little bit more purposeful and urgent in doing that. And so God bless you and your family and dare to share ministries as you continue to do what God has created you to do.
0: And God bless you, Charlie. I, you didn't ask me to do this, but uh, I encourage everybody to pick up this book. It is really, I, I would say, the clearest uh, presentation on how to make a clearest present, the clearest presentation possible with the gospel and why it's so important. So you did a great job with that.
1: Well, by God's grace. <laughs> well, thank you, Greg. God bless. All right, thank you. See you till we see you again.
0: Thank you for listening. For more resources